Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it is beautiful. If you find you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red tell me more button, and start creating your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash speaking of partnership. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Get yours today. I'm excited to bring you today's featured guest, Lisa Lieberman-Mohang. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you. And, and any of you listening may not know Lisa. Let me give you a little background. Lisa Lieberman Wang is the CEO and founder of Fine to Fab. She's the author of the number one best-selling book, Fine to Fab, Seven Secrets of a Successful Woman's Journey Away from Depression, Disorder, Oh, I'm sorry, Disordered Eating and Self-Sabotage. She's often featured on well, basically all the major networks as a relationship and emotional health breakthrough expert. And this is because of her practical, inspiring, and authentic approach to changing the way you feel about yourself. Over the past 20 years, Lisa has helped thousands of people overcome lifelong emotional challenges, stemming from relationships with themselves and others that led to depression, anxiety, stress, self-sabotage, emotional eating, shopping, and sexual abuse with her proven seven secrets to fab. Lisa, fill in any blanks there may be in that intro and, and give us a little glimpse in your personal life, if you would. Um, I think the intro is, is a great summation of what it is I do and who I am is, I guess, a different part where we can fill in the blanks. You know, I grew up in a traditional middle-class family looking, um, with parents who wanted the best for us and a father who wanted his children to be perfect, and I didn't know there was no such thing as that. And with that in mind, I went off to college, became the best I can be, and succeeded in all areas except growing up with the one notion of thinking that no matter how great I did, I was never good enough. And knowing that, it's always been a struggle from a young age to be better and top myself. I think the interesting part about that is in any partnership or relationship, it's about how we show up. And over the last 23 years, I've actually taken a whole different approach to how I show up. And every day is a new day. And every day is something to be grateful for. And no longer do I live in a world of perfection, but totally taking imperfect action on a daily basis. Excellent. I love that. And, you know, that's, that actually leads into what I'd love to ask you first, which is, you know, I've found for myself it's helpful to have, I call it a guiding principle, but sometimes it's a quote or a mantra or just something that's your touchstone you can come back to whenever you kind of get off in the weeds. And I'm wondering, what do you use for that? Is there a little phrase or, or a guiding principle for you? Always. My favorite line, no matter what's going on, good, bad, or indifferent, is what's good about this? Hmm. You know, in any situation, we can find out what's good. We can also find what's bad, and we can choose to focus 
on whatever we want, whatever we focus on, as you know, gets bigger. Yeah. So if I looked at my life and how it went, there's, I had spent many years in dis-ease with myself instead of disease. Um, I had dealt with depression, anxiety, um, emotional eating, compulsive overeating, binge eating, bulimia, uh, was sexually abused, and all these things would never make up anything good for any normal standard. And what I had to learn is instead of focusing on what was wrong, which was easy to do, there was plenty wrong, I needed to turn it around and start focusing on what was right. And today, had I not gone through all the things I did, I wouldn't be in a position to serve people in the same capacity that I'm able to do today, where instead of somebody talking in theory, I feel I'm more of a trusted guide of someone who's done it before and walked the path and can actually help people. So using that what's good about this or what's good about that has always served me because now it's no matter what the situation is, I know there's a lesson in it and it's just a matter of time before I get, get the answer. Yeah, I, I love that, Lisa. And, you know, it's the funny thing about it is it's so simple. Yes. You know, if there's something there, maybe it's, you know, it's kind of that classic uh, scenario where people are like, oh, I hate being stuck in traffic. And then they see this huge car accident. And they're like, wow, I would have been in that accident if I hadn't been stuck in traffic. Absolutely. And, and that's I've actually said that before. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So. One of the things that, that our listeners love about this show, Lisa, is how generous our guests are in regards to, to sharing their personal stories of partnership. And, and where I would love to start is if you would take us to a time in your life when, well, you, you kind of tripped up in a partnership and maybe kind of got in your own way and just tell us that story. You know, what were you doing? What did you trip on or how did you trip? And, and, and then give us a little insight into what you learned from that experience that helped you move forward. You know, I can go back and I think when you think of partnership, obviously it can be any partnership. It can be yes. with another person. It can be with business. It can be family or anything else. And one of the early days of where I tripped up in partnership, I think, was when I was in my early years of my corporate career with MCI. And I remember it very well because I was top 2% in the country. I was a high performer, account executive. Um, out there outperforming and doing amazing, and I lived in that, you know, can you top this type of theory, but what happened is I was so focused on having to be perfect and having to be the best that I literally um, got myself caught up in, in a position where I hurt myself. I mean, I made it about me and not about what I needed to do. And I believe that that was to my demise. Um, I dealt with that's when the height of the depression was and the eating disorder and everything else. Um, because I didn't know how to deal with the pressure. So instead of, you know, getting the help I needed the way I needed to get it, the help, I just continued to put more and more pressure on myself and made the, the, re the relationship was all about me. And because of that, I ended, up, ended up, I ended up in the hospital on disability, and it was a huge eye-opener. Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, I, I love that you referenced a, an example from your, your cor corporate career. And because I think oftentimes we forget that these things show up all over our lives. And we have these same patterns oftentimes where we're doing it. Maybe, maybe we're really good at managing ourselves in one area of our life. Let's say in our cor corporate career, we're really good at it. But we're horrible when it comes to interacting with our family or our loved one. And... So what I often recommend to people is look at where you're good at this. You probably have this skill somewhere in your life 
and now it's transferring that skill over to every area of your life so it actually serves you across the board. So thank you for sharing that. Now, one of the things that I think is, is it, some people think it's a slight nuance, but to me it's a big distinction, and that is, you know, pretty much everybody's had what I call a dumb moment, one of those, whoa, what just happened, kind of wake-up moments, where you suddenly, it, like the light goes on, and you're like, I, I can't believe I've been doing this for so long, and suddenly you realize what that, that next step needs to be, and I'm wondering, could you share a story with us of a time when that happened for you, and then what did that you know, how were you able to turn that wake-up moment into a building block for your future partnerships? Okay. Well, I think if I follow the same train that I put myself on with going back to corporate America, the dumb moment was doing insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You know, I never took off vacations because I wanted to be a high performer. I was at 400% of goal for years. And the interesting part is the only time I was willing to take off is if I was sick. So I created a story in my head that, you know, when you're sick, they're nice to you. And that started actually when I was even 18 years old. Uh, my father was uh, verbally abusive, you know, and I found that when I got sick, I had a sudden heart attack at 18. He was nice to me, and I had this story saying, well, when you're sick, they're nice to you. Well, it followed through corporate America that when you're sick, it's okay to take off. Like, you can't take off for, ha for well days, only sick days. So it turned out that I, after... <laughs> several hospitalizations in a row almost every year, you know, I realized there has to be a better way to take a vacation without ending up in a hospital, and that was the dumb moment. And um, I could actually take sick, well days instead of sick days. <laughs> so it was like, this is not working anymore because I don't need to burn out to take a vacation, and that's what was happening. Wow. I'm, I'm wondering, do, do you remember what it was like to actually take your first well vacation? You know what? It's been over 20-something years of taking well vacations. So my first one, no, I actually don't remember it. <laughs> I don't remember it uh, because it wasn't from corporate. I ended up leaving corporate America on disability, mm -hmm. and I never went back. So it was several years later that when I realized the patterns I had created and the stories I was running weren't serving me, I changed everything. So... My, my first big change, and actually my first big trips, and if you want to call it vacations, was when I ended up registering for Tony Robbins' Life Mastery and his whole program, and I was traveling to the British Virgin Islands and Hawaii and all these other places following him doing these programs, and then eventually following him supporting it as crew and then senior leader and trainer um, and helping other people doing what I'd learned from him. So my vacations still were not quote-unquote real vacations. I'd go and help, but then I'd take off more time. So I still had to attach it to something, and today, actually, I'm really great at just taking vacations. <laughs> Good. So yes. I, I want to ask you, because I know you, your your book is Find a Fab, and, I, and when I first saw that, I'm like, well, I mean, a lot of people, you ask them how they're doing, they're fine. Yes. And... I'm guessing your version of fine means something different than most people when they say they're fine. Absolutely. So fine was how I felt for years. You know, people used to say, how are you doing, Lisa? And I'd say fine. And they'd go, how are you doing? I'd say fine. And eventually I'd get so frustrated they were asking me so much. I'd be, I'm fine. I'm effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Leave me the hell alone. <laughs> and that's how I used to answer them. 
uh, years later, if, if I ever fell back to fine and someone asked, they'd, they'd say, which one, yours or mine? I'm like, no, yours. It's okay. I'm good. I'm fabulous. <laughs> nice. But um, the human nature, by definition, we always return to familiar. Dr. Virginia Satir said that years ago. And the reason why people return to fine is that it's a lot of time for people fine is comfortably miserable. Interesting. Because obviously what you just described for us was kind of what you were pushing and pushing and pushing. And the only time you took time off was when you were sick. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of a good example of comfortably miserable, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of times people have the hardest, um, I, want to, I want to say the hardest time giving themselves permission to take care of themselves. Uh, a lot of those people that I work with who come to me are successful in some areas, so many areas, but not with themselves. Like they'll do for their kids, they'll do for their significant other, they'll do for their job. But when it comes to doing it for themselves, like, well, I can't do that. You know, I mean, I, that's not right. And then they need an excuse. Like they need an excuse to be nice to themselves, and I think it comes from always having to measure up and feeling like you're not enough, or having to, you know, because if we're if we're enough, then somebody will love us, you know, and that's really the basic thing. Going back to the 1600s, is people feel like they want love, and if they if they don't feel like they're enough, they won't receive it. So people will do anything in their power to get it, even if it's a even if it's not serving them. Yeah. So it. It might be I need to be even better at my job so that they'll appreciate me. It might be I have to give, give, give so they'll love me. It might be that even with their friends, not just their significant others or family, that they they have this need to help everybody because the more they help them, at least they'll be accepted and loved. At least that's what they think. So it's always this constant striving to be loved, and it's interesting how it shows up in anyone's life. It's very different. Um, I stopped the cycle 23 years ago. I stopped doing fine, and I decided I'd rather be fab, which is fabulous, awesome, beautiful. And that happened because of, you know, like you can see, it's not a dumb moment. It it is a wake-up moment of I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and there has to be a better way to feel good about yourself, and it, it doesn't need to be through third party. And when we spend our time looking to be validated by other people, by what we talk about in, you know, speaking of partnership, if we're waiting to be validated by someone else, we'll never be enough. It has to happen where, you know, you validate yourself with or without a significant other, with or without a job, with or without the wealth you want, with or without the body you want. Like, you need to learn to love yourself where you're at so that you can have all the things you want. You know, people don't do good things for people they don't like, and a lot of times people miss the energy and they spend more time disliking themselves, and because of it, they think all these other things outside of them would make them like themselves better. And that's just not how it works. We have to like ourselves first, and all the other things become bonuses. Yeah, and you know, I I love how this ties back to that story you told earlier about getting the idea in your head that when you were sick, someone would like be nice to you. Yes. And we latch onto these one example and decide that's the rule. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then, Very like you common. said, that becomes our story forever. Yep, unfortunately, yes. And it's not a conscious thing. You know, when we look at the unconscious and conscious mind, it's not conscious. It's that this has been part of your ship. I call a ship your strategies, your habits, your impulses, and your physiological control. That's your unconscious mind that's been steering you. And 55% of our beliefs are formed by the time we're five years old. The other 45% were formed by you based on a foundation of what may or may not be true. When you think about it, our parents told us about the tooth fairy. They might have lied about other things too, right? (laughs) 
So there, you know, we're, we're basing beliefs and stories and values on what we were told by well-meaning parents, teachers, and preachers. It really becomes something that by the time we realize what's happening consciously, we may know better, but unconsciously, our mind doesn't know the difference from fact and fiction. And if you tell it something often enough, it helps you make it true through your unconscious mind. So if you keep saying things aren't good or, you know, or you're not happy, it's going to find more instances to help support that belief. Yeah, yeah. Or like you were saying with your example, that one experience of being treated nicely because you were sick, it just took the one. And you said, I want that. So I'm just, this is my way to get it. Absolutely. And I honestly followed it for 13 years yeah. until I finally said, this is enough. There has to be a better way to get attention than having to, be, having to hurt yourself. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was truly hurting myself because I'd end up in the hospital and over 13 years, six times, not for a day or two, but for a month or so. Wow. So this was, this was something that was insidious at this point and needed to stop. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's shift gears, Lisa. I, I, I want to actually ask you about a story of a time. I call it a proudest partnership moment, and it doesn't have to be the proudest, but one of those times in your life, whether it was romantic or family or career, where you think back on that moment and you just can't help but smile. What's one of those for you? You know what? Right now, one of the proudest moments for me was changing my career to do what I'm doing today. Mm. It, it absolutely is. I never saw this in the forecast. I had been serving the Anthony Robbins Foundation for about 15 years at the time, or 17 years, and and we were in Egypt as part of the Platinum Program with Tony as well. And and one of his head trainers, Lawrence Wilkham, who knew me all these years, you know, has seen what I've done with people, and she said to me, you know, you're playing small. And Ken, if you knew me, you'd know it. there's no such thing as small in my life. <laughs> and I, I was like, no, I'm not playing small. She says, yeah. She said, you're supposed to be helping women. And I said, well, I've been helping business people grow their business and help them increase their income and doing that for over 20 plus years. And she, I said, no, this is what I do. She said, no, you're supposed to help women. And I balked at the whole thing, and she starts doing kinesiology on me, you know, muscle testing me. And she says, no, you're supposed to do both. And I was like, nope, not supposed to do both. <laughs> was totally indignant of the whole concept. And it turned out a year later, literally the same week as it happened the year prior, I wake up one morning and I come downstairs and out of nowhere, I call my husband Handsome. I said, Handsome, I'm supposed to save lives. I said, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's what I'm supposed to do. You take over our business and this is what I'm going to do. And find the fact that started and that was it that was the beginning and there was no looking back and we started I started find the fab I wrote the book it became a number one bestseller I thought it would take me a while it was immediate I didn't even know what to do it was so fast and um, ended up having a client who was a reality tv star who because of her success with working with me she's gotten down 100 pounds never thought she was an emotional eater when she was um, they had me on CBS with her, and then before I knew it, it became um, a household word of helping more people go from feeling fine to being fab. Outstanding. That's great. You know, it's, it's what, I, what always makes me like, so interested in these kind of stories is how, how much we often resist it. <laughs> yes. Right? Like, 
everybody else can see it and it's right there and you have the skill set but we fight it and fight it and fight it because well and obviously we, we really don't know what's going to happen until we do it and as you just described you know all of a sudden boom you're on the shows and everything's happening so fast but even though it was you could handle it it wasn't like it was gonna you know destroy you it was actually just part of the process and you just needed to hop on that train absolutely well i was pretty much doing it for almost 17 years but i wasn't publicly doing it people yes. didn't know that what i was doing it was private i had a lot of anonymity in my own story no one ever knew and and i had been helping people for years and i remember people would always complain to me about how i didn't understand or and i tell them you know well what's good about this I'm like no you don't understand this happened this is bad and i and no matter what was bad i always found something good and they'd always say you don't understand and i'd say okay and they didn't know that I what my background was. I never chose to ever share it with anybody. And one of the fears I had from the beginning was would I be judged? And the irony was completely the different, different, the opposite of what I thought. You know, my what I thought might have been a challenge for people or what could have been held against me became my strength. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible. Yeah, and. You know, it's it's so true that oftentimes it's that thing we're doing that we're just we just kind of dismiss or we keep it hidden, and that's the thing that's so powerful for people. So, like your Absolutely. story and being able to really make it your own and and share your own personal story, let people go. She is the person that can help me. Well, everybody thought I grew up with a silver spoon. They yeah. had no idea, and then when they found out, it it wasn't quite a silver spoon. It was pretty rusty. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, okay, she's she's normal, and if yeah. she got through it, I can get through it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm so glad you said that, because that's actually part of the genesis for this show, was having been somebody that's done you know personal development and all this type of work for years, I was very aware of how easy it is to put the people you're studying on a pedestal. Like, oh, they've never had these problems, and their life's perfect, and so on and so forth. And that's why I ask our guests to, to share their personal experience, because obviously they've all been through this. They, we have lies. We're human. Nobody comes out of this thing, you know, just perfectly clean and has no problems. We've all gone through these things. And it's so fascinating when I'm talking with folks that, you know, their whole world is about, you know, helping people with their relationships and people have put them on the pedestal because where they are now and they come on the show and go, oh, yeah, I was married three times and. You know, every time I knew I shouldn't have been married to that person and so on and so forth. And you can just hear the audience going, oh, my gosh, they're, they're regular people. Absolutely. I can now relate to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you look at John Gray and Barbara DeAngelis. They were both married to each other and they're relationship you know, experts. And yet they were divorced and yeah. now remarried, what, 30 years each to different people. Mm-hmm. It's a commonality, unfortunately. I was married before. I found out what I didn't want so I can have what I do. Um, and now I'm married 18 years. Nice. So without a doubt, it, there's a journey in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Lisa, we've actually arrived at a part of the show I, I call Bring It All Home. And this is where we're going to step away from stories. And I'm going to ask you to provide some, some really simple, concrete guidance our listeners can take and apply in their lives right now. And where I want to start is I'd love for you to share with us what, what is the best partnership or relationship advice that you have ever received from someone? You know, I, I think the interesting thing is uh, Tony Robbins 
said to me personally that I had the man I wanted and I just didn't see it. And I'm with my husband 18 years and seven years I was going to get rid of him. Seven years ago I was thinking I should trade him in too. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it wasn't that he, he, he was no longer fabulous because he is an amazing man. It was I had rules that he wasn't measuring up to. Mm. But what really happened for us was I became more masculine, he became too feminine. Mm. And we had switched roles somewhere when um, about, I mean, the best relation, but it was, a, it was right before 9-11, two years before that. So 2009, the stock market, um, I had MCI became WorldCom, and remember, WorldCom went bankrupt, and that was my 401k. And mm. I, I was very, very comfortable. I was a millionaire, and then all of a sudden I became a pauper when they went bankrupt. And I had all my employee stock options and all the other stuff there. And then after 9-11, my husband got downsized because um, there were so many programmers out there. He was with PwC consulting for UPS that UPS decided to get rid of the consultants and hire people on 10 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. So I really thought, you know, my husband wasn't the man I wanted because he wasn't working the way he was. He wasn't providing. He wasn't doing. And... Because of it, I, I kind of lost who he was, that he lost who he was. So fortunately, you know, we, we stayed together and worked through it, and that's really the best relationship advice I had is sometimes the situations around us dictate what we believe to be true about somebody, but it's not the, the person as much as the meaning we're giving it. Yeah, no, that's that's a great example. Thank you. So we've talked about your book, which sounds amazing find a fab what other book or resource would you recommend for our listeners and, and why that particular one well first I, I would suggest the book find a fab because i give the seven secrets to fab of overcoming self-sabotage so that we can change the meaning and the stories we we do with anybody um i i love brene brown mm. um her stuff is amazing if it's if it's like the gifts of imperfection i believe is one of my favorites there but I also am an avid reader. I've, read, I've listened to over 500 books on tape. So whether we're listening to to John Maxwell or if you want for relationship, Alison Armstrong or Esther Perel, um, there's so many amazing books out there for, you know, if you're talking about partnership or relationships. But I really think the most important relationship is the one you have with yourself. So things like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, you know, these are just some of the ones that I love, but I have literally hundreds I can give you <laughs> as resources. Outstanding. Thank you. No, those are great. So what I'd love to do, Lisa, is, is leave our listeners with an example of what I call the payoff of partnership. So if you would share with us a specific example of something you've been able to do or create or experience that wouldn't have happened on your own, it was solely the result of being in partnership. And I believe Find the Fab happened because not only did I believe it's what I was supposed to do, my husband, without a doubt, supported me from the very beginning. I And not only did he support me, God put in my place a whole faculty of amazing individuals that had overcome their own challenges who became part of my company, where whether it be health professionals, uh, business professionals, STEM transformation experts, um, an arsenal of, of resources 
that store that this is not just a, a business but a mission. And the mission is to help people live an authentic life, happy, healthy, and free without years of shame, blame, and therapy. So I know that what I'm doing today wouldn't have worked if I didn't have the support I have. Yeah. And that is, it's priceless. You can't, you can't explain it. And a lot of people don't realize they're in partnership even if they don't know it. If you're married and you have kids and you're going out to work and your spouse is taking care of the kids while you're doing something, you're in partnership. You know, like they're helping support your business, even though your job, even though it doesn't look like it, they're doing something else, but it allows you to do what you're doing. And I think it took me a while to figure that out, that partnership doesn't mean we're doing the same thing. It means that we allow ourselves to do what we do best. Yes. And that's a whole different perspective in supporting each other where, you know, what I'm really awesome at is, is helping individuals break through whatever's weighing them down. What my husband is really awesome at is taking care of everything around me, administration, internet, all the other stuff that needs to be taken care of so I can do what I do best. Yeah, and that that's exactly right. It, it, it is partnership when it's, you know, you're receiving whatever support you need so you can be your best expression. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lisa, I... I love this conversation. I love everything you've been sharing. I would love it also if you would share with our listeners, you know, how do they contact you? How do they learn more about what you do? Well, easy to contact me. I'm the only Jewish Chinese woman with the name Lisa Lieberman Wang on social media. So you can find me on social media. Also go to our website at fine2fab, that's F-I-N-E-T-O-F-A-B dot com. And if you register there and sign up, you'll start getting some of our amazing newsletters and tips and tricks to help yourself feel even better. And if you want to take advantage of a free webinar, I usually have a webinar series every month. There's something that we're doing. So when you log in, you'll be, in, you'll be set up to be hearing about them. But as well, you can go to 7, the number 7secretstofab.com and check out a webinar I did. I made it so you can listen to the one that was done. It's only a half hour. And that will start giving you the seven secrets to overcoming self-sabotage and get started now. Excellent. Excellent. And for any of you listening that, you know, didn't have a pen in your hand when we just gave you all that information, all those links are going to be on the show page for Lisa. So all you have to do is go to speakingapartnership.com type in Lisa's name. Actually, if you just type in Lisa, I think she's the only Lisa I've had on the show so far. <laughs> <laughs> you'll go right to her page and you'll see all the links there. So it's really, really easy for you to get a hold of her. Well, Lisa, again, your insights, your stories, really incredible. Thank you again for being on the show. And I, just thank you. I don't even know what else to say. Thank you, Ken. It's my pleasure. And if anybody mentions the show, I'll be happy to even do a free consultation with them. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.